Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo, and I'm with Patrick Daly. And today's topic will be translation tools or the translation toolkit. This will be a great episode to go over some of the tools or programs that you need uh, to work more effectively with your translation service provider. Um, bringing back uh, the word of the day uh, uh, that we uh, typically do with our episodes. Uh, tool is from Old English meaning instrument, implement, uh, used by a craftsman or laborer, or even a weapon. And it's from the Proto-Germanic Taolin, which is also uh, the term for implement. And of course, I think this is really important because I always say to uh, either our translators or people that we work with that if this is what you do for a living, you need to have good tools. You wouldn't be a construction worker and not have a hard hat or a really good hammer you need a good computer and you need good programs so you can do your job more effectively. So why don't we get started? Patrick, I know you were going to start with a few of the tools that um, you use on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first one that I can think of that I use every day is the Microsoft uh, Office Suite. That's Outlook, Word, PowerPoint, Excel, uh, and even uh, PowerPoint as well, and even uh, Publisher, which is a little bit dated, but we still do use it uh, from time to time. Uh, so we use Outlook here for email, so that's going to be one of the most important tools that you have as a translator or you know, working with an agency. There needs to be an easy way to communicate with you. Um, and I would also suggest um, you know, even taking courses that Microsoft or Lynda or any of those services offer on those tools or those programs. Um, you might think that you're an expert in something, and then there's a ton of stuff that Microsoft has out there, a ton of information that can really make you an actual expert in those tools. It's one of those programs that, you know, all of us are probably guilty of using about 5% of it, but there's so much beyond the basic functionality. And some of the things that I can think of off the bat are, um, you know, the ability to do a really good search and replace, especially on a large volume of content. You know, there are times as a project manager where, uh, you're working with a client and they're telling you, hey, we need to exclude all the content that's highlighted or in red or in yellow. And you know, having the ability to make that standard then allows you to create a good parsing template mm-hmm. so you can ignore that content in translation. Yeah, right? um, yeah the search tool in, in Word is super powerful if you know how to use it correctly. Also, um, anything formula-driven in Excel is going to be very important. Um, there's a lot of times that you know, you might see content in a cell, but there's a formula behind it. So you need to know where's that data coming from and how is it getting to that point where you can see it. Makes a lot of sense. How about the Adobe Suite? Do you use uh, anything in the Adobe Suite? Mm-hmm. Uh, so for just kind of all translators in general, I'd say at least you need Acrobat, uh, which is just the PDF viewer. Uh, you don't have to have, obviously, Acrobat. That's the one I use and I'm most familiar with. But something to view PDFs, something where you can annotate PDFs, that's super important as well. Uh, when we do an in-context review of, let's say, an InDesign project, you're going to need to be able to annotate that PDF to communicate changes to the formatting team. Um, so as I mentioned again, InDesign, um, I'd say as a translator, you don't necessarily need that. Um, it would be nice if you did have it, but you know, typically you're going to receive XLIFs or your jobs will be in the cloud when you get them from an agency. So it's not necessary to have InDesign, but it could be helpful in certain situations. That makes sense. And um, InDesign is off, uh, a tool that we obviously use a lot. Mm-hmm. So here as as an agency, we certainly have to have InDesign, right. but yeah. a freelancer might get away with mm-hmm. not yeah, having Yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessary. There is a cost associated with it. So if your budget allows it, sure, go ahead and get it. But if not, I'd say you can get away with not using it. 
And then on um, the agency side, as a firm, you know, as a firm that's handling a lot of transactions, obviously we have an ERP system, which is essentially an accounting system. And I think, I think that's huge because even as a freelancer, you have to have some type of system to track your incoming jobs and um, invoices that you that are, are going to be due, maybe a way to accept payments. You mm-hmm. know, these days with tools like Xero, uh, which is a good freelancer's accounting system, or Stripe for accepting credit cards, you know, those are some things that you can do to make yourself more marketable, I mm-hmm. would imagine. Yeah, I think definitely keeping an eye on that sort of thing, knowing what the terms of the company you're working are working with are. So, you know, if payments are due in thirty days, sixty days, whatever it might be, you can set up kind of your own personal accounting system as well to kind of flag you on that, give you notifications, maybe have it associated with the calendar. Um, and that can all make your life a lot easier. Yeah. Collections are very important, obviously, as a freelancer. Um, I know for us, uh, with doing as many transactions as we do, you know, we couldn't survive unless we could track our incoming and outgoing mm-hmm. effectively and yeah. see who's, who owes us money. Yeah, definitely. Uh, tracking your cash flow is going to be super important. How about the translation management system? I know obviously it's challenging, right? For for freelancers out there today, I mean, I have some conversations with some of our longstanding translators. They say, gosh, Peter, you don't understand. I have to have you know six different systems, seven different systems. If you could speak to translation management mm-hmm. systems a bit. So it all does depend on who you work with. Certain agencies might be able to provide tools for you. Uh, the tool we use is free. It all kind of filters back onto our account. So individual freelancers don't need to purchase anything in order to work with us, uh, which I think is super nice. It's also cloud-based. There's a lot of different cloud-based systems. So you don't need to install anything on your physical machine to work with us. You just open up a link and then you're all set there. Um, but there are a lot of other systems that you know you need to have locally on a machine. And a lot of freelancers kind of don't like that because you have to pay for them. And that comes out of your pocket as the freelancer. Yeah, I think that's an important point. But I, I think if I were to make a recommendation to freelancers, I would say find one system that you own you know, whether that's MemoQ or Trados or, uh, you know, whatever tool you decide to choose, you should have one that you own. So because you'll probably have some customers that don't use translation management systems. So that way you can intake word files and InDesign files and FrameMaker files and all the different file types, but then learn how to use some additional systems. So um, you know, like you mentioned, we, you, we use WordBee, which is a cloud-based translation tool. So we pay for the licenses, essentially. Our users, our translators do not. So have some flexibility, learn some other tools. I think that would be, you know, very helpful. Yeah, to that point too, like you said, you know, pick your tool, use it. I'd say really focus on mastering that tool because there's a lot of times, like you mentioned, that the agency might not line up with the same tool you use. But if there's a way you can work with it and kind of export what the client needs back, then you'll be in fine shape. So sometimes the tool doesn't matter as long as you can work with it, you know, figure out a way to make it work with your tool. That makes sense. And then... um, Obviously, the file sizes have grown so much, right? Uh, if, if, even if you're working on a larger project, it might be a large PDF mm-hmm. with high-res imagery in it, and it's too large for email. So you should have some familiarity with something like Box or Dropbox or ShareFile or WeTransfer mm-hmm. or just having an account on one system so that if a client says they want to send you something that's very large or you need to send something, uh, that you have a way to either send or receive. Those right. Yeah, files. I know some of our uh, freelancers have their own private services that do that, um, but we easily can give you uh, a login to Box where you can just upload files directly to us. But again, like you said, just familiarity with some sort of large file sharing website. Makes a lot of sense. And I know 
Patrick, you spend a fair amount of time as a project manager in Notepad++. How does that tool help you? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's definitely a useful tool for any file that kind of has coding going on with it, for lack of a better term. Uh, anytime there's programmer speak in there, that's when you're going to want to use Notepad. Uh, basically what you can do um, is open any file you know that's got encoding in it. So the biggest ones that I work with are XML, HTML, XLIF, which is industry standard for translation files, and a TMX, which is a translation memory. Uh, so those are where you can really dig into those files. They might show up as a blank icon on your computer, but you can always just right-click it and open with Notepad++, get down into the nitty-gritty of the encoding that you need to see, and then kind of work from there. Yeah, and, and it's also a great tool for doing like mass search and replaces mm -hmm. because Notepad++ has the ability, say if you had 100 text files, you can um, open one of the text files, set up a search and replace, but then do the search and replace on a, on a directory. You can just point at a directory mm -hmm. of files. You don't even have to have them all open. Um, but it's also great for like what you said for XML. It has some XML validation tools built in, so that way you know you're not um, messing up people's XML code. <laughs> not which breaking is XML. Huge no-no. Right? Yeah, and also, I mean, that tool is free, um, which is great. It's always... It's a good price. Yeah, it's always great when you have a powerful tool that is free. Um, but it's also useful too, like we mentioned uh, before, if you have your own translation management system, um, typically you're going to need to write parsing templates to be able to intake files. So let's say your agency that you're working with doesn't doesn't give you XLIFs, so they'll just be like, here, here's the source file, go. So you'll need a way to get that into your translation management system and parse it so you can then translate that text. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's a very much a, a Swiss Army knife of a tool. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very important, I think, uh, for any translator or uh, even a project manager on the client side to have. Um, there's a, a few other tools as well that I think are important to note, and that's uh, Skitch and Rainbow. Um, there are others that do it. Rainbow is um, an open source project called Rainbow Copy. It's it's really a framework, and that's a really good one because if, if you don't have a translation management system, so this might be really more on the customer side, if you don't have a system and you want to be able to access a TMX file, or let's say that someone sends you a, a translation memory file and it has multiple languages in it and you want to do a search or you want to just segregate one language and then export that. Those are all things that you can do inside of that um, Rainbow Copy framework. And Skitch is um, another tool which is used for creating glossaries. In other words, you can do an extraction, you can do an analysis on a large... Um, um, a, a large uh, body of content, a, a corpora of content, and say, all right, I, I want to look for the terms that are repeated more than three times and essentially create your glossary. So it's a really handy tool for that. Um, there are others. You know, if, you, if you do searches uh, in Google for free, trans, t free TMX editor or uh, free glossary management tools, you'll see there are, there are others that are out there. Skitch does have a cost. Uh, Rainbow does not. Um, how about for organization, Patrick? I, I, I know we've used some different tools internally, if you could speak to that mm -hmm. a bit. Um, so you can organize your projects really any way you want. Uh, my preference is by email, because that's where most of the action happens for me. Uh, but we also have a tool that's called Trello. And is that from Microsoft or is that from No, it's an independent okay. company. Mm -hmm. um, but Trello is basically a series of boards where you can put tasks that you need to do. So for example, we use Trello for the podcast. We have you know, one board on the podcast board that is for uh, shows where we need to write the show notes so we can get prepared for it. Uh, we have another board for topics where we want to have guests on. 
And then we have another board for all the completed topics to make sure we don't repeat ourselves. So that'd be a good example of how you can use Trello. So you can monitor your projects and all their statuses using that tool. It's a nice way to uh, keep um, a large set of tasks organized and share that board with other people. So even if you're a freelance translator and you work with another freelance editor and you do some projects in common, that might be a nice way to create a board and a tasks, a list of tasks or to-dos. And it, it uses very much the Kanban system. So it's sort of like moving index cards and columns. So uh, it's a really, really great visual way to keep track on projects. All right. And you can set up a lot of notifications on that too. So you don't have to really be staring at that board all day. You can just kind of get an email every time that something happens on your board. And in terms of messaging, I know we use Slack and I think most of the world uses Slack. <laughs> Probably no surprise there, but it's a great tool um, to really stay in constant communication with uh, a wide group of people, different locations, different time zones. Now they have workflow management in there, but it, it's really nice even if you have subsets. So I, I'm on another Slack board with a peer-to-peer -peer group that I'm in. So I have one for, for Argo, obviously, and then I have one for my peer group. So it's kind of nice to have that ability. It's sort of real-time chat and file sharing, all sorts of neat, neat mm -hmm. functions. Yeah, you can do... Um I'm, my favorite part is kind of direct messages. Let's say you call one of your colleagues who's working remotely and they're not by their phone. You just shoot them a quick Slack. You don't have to send them an email, bog them down. It's kind of a different outlet for that. It's kind of more instant messenger, like you said. But you can also do video calls and screen shares on that. So it's also super powerful if you need to, with any of your coworkers or people in that organization in Slack, if you need to share your screen or you can actually do phone calls directly through it too. So you might not even need a phone if you have Slack. Yeah, it's pretty nice. And, and I think one of the things too is important to note is that you can um, create workflows and automation. So if you use other cloud tools, I think I'd mentioned Zero earlier. If you use something like Zapier, you can set up a little workflow that says, when a customer creates a payment in zero, shoot a Slack message to this channel. You know, mm -hmm. there's these little integrations that you can do, so it's nice to sort of keep uh, the team in the loop on things that are happening. Um, how about for screenshots? What's the tool you like to mm -hmm. use for that? Uh, so the one I prefer uh, is Snagit, and I believe last I checked, it was I think in the neighborhood of fifty bucks, if not exactly fifty dollars. Uh, but that's great for sending super high-resolution screenshots. Uh, some of the built-in tools on Macs and PCs aren't so great at doing that. Uh, if you need to zoom in or kind of drill down, you're going to get a pretty blurry picture if you zoom in on it. Um, and it also offers screen recording, uh, which is another super powerful tool. So you can do a screen recording either with or without audio. Um, so a lot of the videos that we put out on YouTube, for example, with demos are done through Snagit. We just take the video with someone speaking kind of like we are now, and then boom, it's ready to go on YouTube and you've got a narrated video. And um, I think another important tool, especially if you're you know, start creating a lot of uh, images and things with screenshots or videos is a compression tool. So I know we've used, you know, there's a, a zip that or compression that's included with either a, your PC or your Mac. Um, gosh, I'm probably dating myself. There used to be a program called PK Zip. I don't even know if that exists anymore. Probably not. Yeah. I think I'm too young for that one. Yeah, probably. Uh, that's for the 25 year anniversary show that we need to talk about that one. But there's WinRAR out there. There's obviously a lot of tools out mm -hmm. there, but you do want to have something that will allow you to unzip a file, but also compress a file so mm -hmm. you can, uh, hopefully send larger files either through email or even just so it's not a massive upload. It's probably a good idea. Right. To and that's going to be useful. So, you know, you don't get 
40 attachments in one email you can zip those all up into one folder send them on there or it's also even useful even if it is compressed to do uh, to upload to one of those file sharing sites we mentioned some only let you upload one file at a time so rather than take one file 40 times or 40 files and do each one individually you can zip them up and just upload that zip directory and then you're all set yeah that's very handy and last but not least um I think support forums are actually an important tool as well. And the understanding of how to use them and how to interact with the different support functions for the tools you use is really important. Patrick, if you have any tips on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, it's not last but not least, or last but least. Um, I added two more while we were talking, so we got two more to cover after this. Uh, Those are bonuses, I yeah, guess. Yeah, all yes. right. Bonus one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, but support, support forums are super helpful. Uh, One of the ones I use most often is WPML support when we're translating websites. Uh, They have a ton of user-based articles that users or the developers themselves have written uh, that are super helpful. People have run into these problems before, so a solution is out there. Uh, The trick is kind of knowing what to search for. Um, So sometimes less is more if you just type in WPML plus your problem that's probably a good way to start. But sometimes if you're just using Google, um, sometimes a little bit less in your search might be a little more helpful. Well, and I think that's important too, because invariably when people are trying to help you in a support forum, it's, it's, um, you know, it's obviously a technical representative from the company. It's really good to start the conversation with, I'm having this issue. This is how it occurs. Here's a screenshot of the error. I found these two tech articles and I tried this and I tried that. And that did not work. Mm-hmm. Can you help? Right. By doing something like that and framing your message in that way, um, because sometimes they're going to tell you to do those first two things you discovered on your own anyway. So you're hopefully uh, limiting the number of solutions that they'll give you. So that way they can focus on the problem in a, in a faster way. So. Right. And when you do that kind of shows, you have a level of seriousness as well. You're not just kind of being like, oh, I can't figure it out. You do it for me. It's like, hey, I've done a little bit of research. I've tried a couple of things. This doesn't work. So what else can we do? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, now that you um, um, decided to make the show a little bit longer, <laughs> bonus one and bonus two. Here right. we go. The first one is website scrapers. Ugh, yeah, yeah, we've done videos on that. Yeah, so um, what Patrick's talking about is uh, there are times when a customer will say, hey, can you give us a quote on our website? So you would need to use a tool like a website scraper to sort of come up with an HTML download. And they're very inaccurate. Sometimes if you have security measures on the website, it's not going to work very well. It's going to grab JavaScript. And there are certainly ways to limit those things in those tools. And there's a bunch out there. There used to be one called Blue Squirrel. That one's not around anymore. There's... Yeah, I think the one I use is called Inspider or Insight maybe. Yeah, and I use one called uh, iSave, I think, as well as there's another one uh, called Site Sucker. And, you know, they all have their fleas, and some of them work well. Some of them don't for different types of sites. But the bottom line is it's probably a good tool to have. But you can't really rely on it completely. Right. I mean, if we're providing a quote just using a, uh, a scraper, it's not going to be accurate pretty much at all. We can do our best to kind of pare it down uh, and do our best to back into a real number. But they also don't take into account um, a lot of times not every page on a website is translated. So if you use a scraper, you basically count everything or you count nothing. So it's kind of limited in that capacity, too. Yeah, it's not terribly accurate. And yeah, the best way, obviously, to do that is either one, connect your CMS to the translation agency, or two, figure out a way through your CMS that you can export a translatable file. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, what's bonus number two, Mr. Daly? They are alignment tools. 
Ah, good point. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so an alignment is basically when um, a, either you as a freelancer or us as an agency get translations provided by someone else. So they're not living in our translation memory. We kind of, let's just say, for example, we get a Word doc that's in English and Spanish, and the customer says, hey, we want this in our translation memory. So we need a way to be able to parse that file to get it into a TMX format, which is the industry standard for uh, translation memory. So there's lots of different alignment tools out there. Uh, some translation management systems have them built in. I know one we use is Lingo. There's also a good one in um, MemoQ, but I'm sure there's a ton more out there. Yeah, and there's some open source ones out there as well. Another good thing to do a Google search on and see which um, which solution fits best. So now that bonus two is complete, that'll wrap up this episode of Translation Confidential. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Peter and Patrick Daly signing off.